What is up, Mets fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Mets Up Podcast. Just wrapped up a three-game series out in Oakland. Mets swept. Yes, you heard it correct. The Mets swept a series from a very, very, very bad Oakland A's team. A lot of great things happened. I mean, Mets broke a franchise record in game one. Game two, a little comeback victory. And game three, was a little bit getting down to the wire, but some really good stuff there, James. How you been feeling? Been able to watch these games out in California. So you've been like local time for this one. I am local time for this one. I'm recording from sunny Los Angeles right now. Playa Mar, Mar Vista, Mar Vista, I think is the neighborhood I'm called. That is where I am is called. Shout out my friend Tommy for the wonderful hospitality and recording in the most LA thing in the world. A nice little nook in the kitchen. <laughs> that is very, very LA. Of course, we do want to address just something right off the rip. Uh, there's been some rumors and some tweets that we have seen about a certain thing that may or may not be happening. As you guys know, we are the official podcast of the New York Mets. So if or when something does become official, we will drop an episode as soon as we can about whatever that official news could or may be. But right now, that news is not official, so we will not be able to address it on this episode. But just know the content, whenever something does become official, will be coming right at you as soon as we possibly can. So just wanted to get out in front of it early so that everybody who's probably asking the questions in the comment section or in the chat or on Twitter, you guys know exactly where we stand on this right now. Uh, but yeah, a lot of good stuff to talk about in this series against the Oakland A's. It was a very, very weird series, I feel like, to say the least. Super weird series. I feel like top to bottom it was. Just the fact that there was one game where it was like a football score and then yeah. two other games where it was just total grinded out baseball. We saw, we talked a lot like the first, like the preview about like how Shintaro Fujinami and how good he can be. But the fact that his command is crazy. We saw him have like the best command of his entire career. We, it's just like, it was really, it was a really funny thing to watch. We even like pl playback when we were talking about last week, how we we're like, oh man, Francisco Lindor, the lefty swing. He was crushing it from the left side his entire series. Like a lot of the things that we thought were going to happen in the series didn't exactly happen besides the Mets actually physically sweeping. Yeah, I mean, the Mets pretty much just had to exist in Oakland, and it seemed like they were going to win this series. Like, yeah, the games got close towards the end, but relatively speaking, like, the A's didn't really do much to fight back, it felt like. Like, they did have some good swings here and there. Shea Langoliers, like, looks like he's going to be a bit of a Met killer, so thank God the Braves got rid of him and sent him to Oakland. We don't have to see him anymore this year, but, like, relatively speaking, the A's did a lot to help the Mets win some of these games, too. I mean, there was that moment during Sunday's game where... um what was it? It was it was the wild pitch towards yeah. the extra innings where it was like, oh, man, we really need a break here to get this run. in. it was like, oh, we're playing the A's. There's the break. That's awesome. <laughs> I like playing this team. You text in the group chat. You're like, man, I love playing bad teams. Like, yeah, let's just be honest. Good. Like, the A's, the A's are one of the bottom feeders in Major League Baseball. So, yeah, it's really great to get those three games in, get a sweep. Uh, this is like a weird way that I've been thinking about now, like series with you play everybody at least once and like everybody in baseball does it is that the Mets simply will not lose a game in like the standings to the Braves or Phillies or whoever they're competing with against the Oakland A's because they took all three from them. We don't have to worry about that anymore. At the absolute worst, it's a push, which is, I feel like, fantastic. Yeah, it does kind of make that element of it a little more fair, and you can even, it's just easier to compare them when you play different teams, what's going to happen. Now we're going to watch very closely when anyone plays the Brewers. Yes, yeah, we're going to make sure that they, they get swept so that it's a push in that scenario. But uh, let's let's go ahead and start diving a little bit deeper into these games for you guys, getting to start off with Game 1. All these games were chaos games, but Game 1 in particular, like we mentioned in the intro, was sheer and utter chaos. The Mets set a franchise record with 17 walks in a game. Can I don't even remember a time where the Mets walked like 10, 11, 12 times in a game. 17 is out of this world 
is that a process of the Mets having a great eye and great plate discipline, or is it the A's also really just didn't put any balls even close to the strike zone? I mean, just from watching it, like it's probably a little bit of both. Like we've seen yeah. this year, the Mets do as a team have one of the better like collective eyes in baseball. After this amazing game of 17 walks, they ended up having the league lead in all of baseball and walks and walk rate, which was a cool little stat to put out. And just like put in context how rare a game of 17 walks is. The last time a team drew 17 walks in a game was the Arizona Diamondbacks on August 24th, 2013. That was just before our senior year of high school. And this was against the Phillies. <laughs> Do you want to hear some of the names that were in this lineup? Dude, I was literally just about to look it up and say the exact same thing. You'd be like, how about some of the names? All right, let me think of somebody who could be on the 2013. Yasmani Tomas. Was he on the 2013 Diamondbacks? I think that might have been just before his time because I'm looking at the box score and I don't see him on here. Which All right, is hit me crazy with some names. About. Hit me with some names. Uh, Adam Eaton got the walk-off hit for the Diamondbacks here, or got the game-winning hit, but he was in Arizona. He wasn't, a, yeah, not able to yeah. save with the Phillies yet, but he was that young. Roger Bernadina hit leadoff for the Philadelphia Phillies. Whoa. John Mayberry Jr. played for the Phillies. Dominic Brown hit cleanup for the Phillies in this game. Jesus. A young Paul Goldschmidt was in third for the Diamondbacks. <laughs> Aaron Hill, Martin Prado, Will Nieves, Gerardo Parra had five hits in this game. And you got to wow. think, like, wow, Gerardo Parra got five hits. That's interesting. He must have had a really good game. Not really, because this game went 18 innings long. <laughs> what was so it, these, five for nine? 18 walks that the Diamondbacks drew were in an 18-inning game. Nine of those 18 walks came in the extra innings of this game. So oh through God. the nine innings, you only had nine of those walks. And the game still went nine additional ones, and they drew all those other ones. Last time a team drew 17 walks in a nine-inning game was 1949. The Yankees against the Washington Senators. They don't even exist anymore. They're the Minnesota Twins. No, exactly, yeah. Sherry Robertson led off for the Senators in that game. Oh, Clyde Vollmer got the pinch hit. Yeah, Buddy Lewis was out in right field, the superstar. Who was on the mound? Who was on the mound? I'll tell you right now. Wait, for which team? Both of them. I want to hear the names. Uh, Allie Reynolds defeated Paul Calvert. Or Calvert, Cla probably. Classic matchup. Classic yeah. matchup right there. Someone named Speck Shea got a save for the Yankees. Buzz okay. Dozier came in relief for the for the Senators. He pitched the last five and a third innings. He gave up eight runs on 12 hits. <laughs> oh, my God. Which, okay, so you want to talk about like eight runs on 12 hits. The craziest, this might be the craziest stat of this entire game, maybe, besides the 17 walks. The Mets actually got out hit by the A's in this one. The A's had 13 hits. The Mets had 11, yet they put up <laughs> 17 runs and won the game by 11 total runs. You're looking at what the A's did on the pitching side. James Caprellian walked seven, which is just an insane number for a starting pitch. Get him out of the game. I mean, I'm happy he didn't come out of the game. That was great. Thank you, Mark Kotze. James Caprellian had seven. Sam Mole, oh, Sam Mole, what a mensch. Zero walks. <laughs> he did a great job for this one. Then Hogan Harris, which is, that's a fake person. Five walks. Is this Caleb Smith? Was this Caleb Smith who came in? This I, I, C. Smith? I don't know if it's Caleb Smith. I'll check right I, now, but I, I, I don't get think it's Chad that. Smith. It was Chad Smith. Chad yeah. Smith then pitched two and two-thirds. There was a point where there was three innings played in this game where the A's did not walk a single batter. Two and two-thirds, not a single walk. And then Jerry's Familia came in, walked four, and the uh, position player, Perez, the catcher, came in and walked one in his little relief role. So, yeah, in six innings, the A's walked 17 batters. In six that's I've never seen anything like it. I don't know if we will for a while. No, it is. It is cool. All these walks happen, but there were a couple of big hits that actually did tie sure. all these rallies together. And the biggest of all of them was Francisco Lindor's grand slam, which was so beautiful, beautiful and so perfect. And so like picturesque because it was walk, walk, walk. And he came up first pitch, dropped a breaker right in the zone. He just went down and crushed it. 
So cool to see that lefty swing looking good. He actually had a comment that Ronnie said during game, uh, game three on Sunday that Francisco Lindor said for the first time he feels balanced from the left side. And you can really see that the way he got to that power from the left side. He does feel balanced. Yeah, and he had a double as well in this game. Seven RBIs uh, for the Lindorks out there. This is a big one to hang your hat on because it was another fantastic game by our shortstop, by our MVP candidate, by one of the best players in baseball. Thank you very much, Francisco Lindor, for playing. Appreciate it. Everybody, I mean, had a good game in this one, but you could go down the line, Brandon Nimmo, a couple hard hit balls as well, a couple walks. I feel like the funniest line for me was that Luis Guillermo got on five times, three walks, two hard hit balls. He had a great game as well. He did have a great game. And even Eduardo Escobar had three balls in play over 99 miles an hour in this one. Very, very exciting stuff to see. Starling Marte was two for three, three walks, three RBIs, a double, two runs, hard hit ball. Everybody was playing very well in this one. It was. It felt hard not to have a good game, honestly, in this one. And everyone did. And that's kind of with the exception somehow of, I think, Kodai Sanga. just want to break him down briefly because every single yeah. time Kodai Sanga pitches, we learn much more about him and about his potential, about like kind of the pitcher he is. And we did put out a great TikTok, actually, Friday afternoon. We got... Boys, the boys got some more time now between the two of them, so we're <laughs> going to be pumping out some more fun content like this. So it did really well on Instagram. Pretty happy that like some dense pitching stats did well. Going to try and make some more of those. But it's just funny in a game like this where you're winning by so many runs like so early that and you're in a ballpark that's completely empty, just like trying to stay like locked in, focused, and then. He got dinked and dunked a little bit in the inning. It was like either it was rushed just after the Mets scored their runs, and you kind of looked up for a second, and it was only six three Mets. And Senga was a little bit struggling. It was it was bloopers and Shane Langley hit that nice home run down the line. And then after the Mets put up a six spot in the top of the fifth inning, he gave up a home run and a walk with two outs and couldn't get out of the inning. In a game where you win by 11 runs, for your rookie starting pitcher not to get the win is probably pretty disappointing for everybody. And I think just the main thing is happening with Senga right now. And you kind of felt at this game because the first time he went around the order, he looked completely unhittable. Awesome. It was ridiculous watching him. And the second time, they seemed to have like have an idea how to fight these pitches off and how to attack him better. And the third time Buck was like, all right, I guess we actually got to take him out of the game now. Cause it's just very obvious that all of his pitches have very distinct jobs and roles. It's like a little, you're doing a little dance with Kodai Sanga now because that fastball comes in early in the counts. He throws it hard and he gets first pitch strikes. 72% of the first pitches he threw in this game were fastballs to the Oakland athletics. So very much the most of them. And that fork is used to make people chase and put them away. He only threw one ghost fork total when he was behind in the count. And 15 of the 17 threw in this game happened with two strikes. One of them came and it was an 0-1 count. So this is the two-strike pitch, and that's the first pitch. And everything in the middle is just those the cutter and the sweeper as much as he wants to use them. Like Those are for the soft contact. Those are for the ground balls. Those are for the easy strikes. And it did do a lot of that in this game, but when that fork ball doesn't really, it's not really pitched and get called strikes. Only three of them were thrown in the zone. They knew when the fastball was coming and were able to hit it. So that's just about being able to react, react and get a piece of the cutter and the sweeper. And that is kind of how it felt like happening. Just really couldn't put dudes away as easily the second and third times through, which, again, it makes sense. This is everything, everything is learning for uh, Kodai Sanga, both for us and for him. And cool to just get a little bit more data on him. Too, and I also think, like, the fact that the game was such a wonky game and, like you said, in Oakland with, like, nobody, I think it's, like, probably a little bit of a different feeling, too, for Kodai Sanga, like, to get those juices flowing again. Like, when you get that big lead, like, sometimes you get out of it. I mean, we saw him do something that I've never seen anybody in baseball do before and maybe it's just because i don't watch a lot of games in oakland who is the rare team that has the bullpen on the field i think they are the only team in baseball that still has the bullpen on the field i think the rays got rid of it but kodai Senga in that long inning i think it was going into the fifth or top of the fifth for the mets 
Kodai Senga warmed up in the bullpen, just started throwing some pitches down there just to keep himself warm. You know, it's a little bit cold in the Bay Area right now. So I think like the combination of all those things, um, and like you were saying, like the fastball was very clearly like a first pitch strike pitch. I think that Mm -hmm. also is too like a little bit of like, gamesmanship with the A's a little bit of just like, Hey, we got a big lead. I'm going to try and I'm going to throw the pitch that I'm most accurate with that. I can throw the most strikes with. And if you hit it, I'm probably still not in trouble because this game is kind of out of reach. Would have loved to seen him go five and get that win. Um, I, I thought that buck was definitely gonna give him a little bit longer leash again, just get that final out, get the win, put it on your record. But at the end of the day, it probably ends up being the right move just because there's no reason to keep him out there when he's, he was struggling a little bit towards the end. Yeah, it was only six three at that point with a man on. So like you're like, okay, this this is a baseball game. I can't really mess around with this anymore just to get a guy a win. So, no, so it was, I, th- was I think right he move. came out. I think he came out when it was away. It was like no. I think no. It was twelve. It was twelve three, dude. Oh, yeah, it was twelve three. They just scored the six. Yeah, I'm wrong. Yeah, about yeah, yeah. That. It was, was six three before the mess started. Then yeah, I was totally yes, wrong yeah, about yeah. that. But yeah, I guess yeah. I mean, if it was me, probably would. Yeah, I don't know. Whatever. But hey, listen, in Buck, we trust. Buck Cup. Where's our Buck Cups? We should have our Buck Cups with us, but yeah, in Buck we trust. Brooklyn. Also, Kodak got 50% ground balls in this game again. So that's Ooh. a number he sat at most of the season. He's over 50% on the year. Still not an indicative sample of anything. And most of those ground balls came on cutters and sweepers. So that is, again, that is the lightning rod. Like that's the linchpin to making this go from like pretty good, like we're seeing right now, to like kind of crazy. Last little thing here about game one. When does it get sticky? Like when do those numbers actually start to really be indicative of what he could be like? Balls in play a little bit when you like you get to 60, but you really want to be 80 to 100. Balls in okay. play. When and what is, do you know what he's at right now roughly? or I want to say it's in the four of these. Okay, so we're, we're getting there. Play. We're getting there with Kodai. No, for sure. And that's why, again, like the whiff rates are legit because we've seen so many pitches where that, that number is becoming pretty significant. Right now, Kodai, balls in play, it's 39. Okay, yeah, so you're right. Good guess. Good. You've really been on fire with these guesses, man. I <laughs> know, yeah, pretty good. And again, the other thing also with Kodai, which we kind of do going in, like the K rate's amazing, but that walk rate is still high. So of these course. are, those ground balls could be high, but the walks are high. Again, it's all just a little dance we're doing here, trying to figure out how good this guy really is. Overall, everyone should be excited, excited of what we've seen from Senga thus far. And that's why we made that TikTok too. We want to get people excited about Kodai Senga. I think... I think most people are uh, pretty feeling feel like, pretty good. I'm really about excited. Him. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of a I'm, I wish that he was being able to pitch in a game I could go to in LA because I still haven't seen a Sanga start live yet. And it's going to be another week till I can. Yeah, no, I've been have. I've been fortunate enough. That's, that's you got to go to every game, James. You got to go to every game. Maybe now you will with a little more time. Yeah, now why not? Right, <laughs> I might be there. All right, let's move it on to game two here. Uh, of course, it was Jackie Robinson Day, which I, I love that Major League Baseball does this. Obviously probably the most important player in baseball history uh, with breaking the color barrier and the fact that everybody, because I remember when they first did Jackie Robinson day, they kind of didn't do a great job. And it was like players could decide whether or not they wanted to wear 42. And Mm -hmm. I I think they players weren't even necessarily in the loop about it because there was only like a few guys that seemed like on every single team that would wear it. Now across baseball, everybody wears a number 42 on Jackie Robinson day, which is definitely one of the uh, cooler baseball traditions that is now existing. Totally. I noticed something different this year about the 42 and the jerseys. Everyone's will seem to be Dodger blue. Yes. Is that something they changed this year? Is that across the league kind of thing? I don't remember when they made that change. I feel like I saw it last year, um, and I feel like I made a, a comment about it last year somewhere, somehow. But yes, now everybody wears the Dodger 42 as well to yeah. make it a little more specific to Jackie Robinson. I thought that was cool. And then getting into this game itself, before we even talk Mets at all, like Shintaro Fujinami definitely has a little bit of sauce. Oh, for sure. He's he's definitely got a little bit of sauce. And we did say it last episode. We said there's going to be a time where like he figures it out and you're going to be like, oh, that guy's pretty good. It just so happened, of course, to be against the Mets where he's, he had the best start of his uh, major league career thus far. 
Yeah, and it's just fastball splitter, and the fastball's got great velocity. Like he can definitely get some guys out, but he's not on the Mets, so that's all we're gonna really say about Shintaro Fujinami yeah, right no. now. You got to talk about Carrasco a little bit because he did have a better start in this one. He got nickel and dimed a little bit. A's didn't really square anything up. They got a lot of blue pits that wound up score- leading to a few runs, but not that crazy. Like he just, he just the whole thing with Carrasco right now is just can't miss any bats. The A's had a one hundred percent zone contact rate in this game. Wow. So all the pitches in the zone, they were able to hit. And that was because Carrasco, the big change he made, was he didn't really throw that many pitches in the zone this game. Okay. Every single thing was that guy's knees, like on the corners, like low, low, low. And if it was a little low, just spit on it, leave it there. But it was a lot, a lot of sinkers down there, a lot of change-ups down there, a lot of sliders that fell below the zone. Probably only threw like four or five pitches entire game above a hitter's belt. And I think that is probably that's probably the that's probably the method with him. Put it in a place where they can't really kill you, and that's how you stay successful. Yeah, kind of living living in the shadows a little bit, right? I think is kind of where we like on, on the edges of the zone. That's where you want to be all the time. But when you have swing and miss stuff, you can you can blow it by people like down the middle sometimes too. Yeah, I'll shoot I'll shoot Vito the uh, the pitch illustrated for Carrasco in this game, so people can see what we're talking about. That was just it was so nibbly, and it was everything was so low. Yeah, and I mean like he this was like a a big start too for Carrasco because I feel like he you know he definitely struggled the first two of the season getting this third one underneath his belt. Grant, like you said, it wasn't perfect, but it was definitely like a step in the right direction for Carrasco. And I think it's like probably also big for a little bit of the mental side for him too. And gets the fans who have been, you know, a little bit hard on him, a little off his back as well, because he ended up doing exactly what we needed to keep us in this game. Yeah. And again, that's all, that's all he had to do. You're not playing the best team in the world. You're playing in a pretty big ballpark. Let them hit fly balls. Just let your outfield just go catch it. No big, no issues there. Shout out to Pete Alonso for really putting the team on his back this weekend. Him and Lindor. I mean, it's so much fun when those guys are cooking, but Pete, specifically with the power, was really big, and he just hit an absolute bomb of a shot in this game. A big home run for us that just really gave us some hope, which was nice. Yeah, some hope. And it's just he, like, this was the second of two massive home runs. Now we know that he would hit in this series to where he just hit the piss out of it. He just hit them so far and so hard. There's no way that these home runs were as short distances as they were claimed to be on on Baseball Savannah and whatnot. I'm going to see what they actually called. I've got some real beef with the estimated home run distance. I think yeah. it's just simply incorrect. I think they take it off of where the ball like land, like hits. So if it hits like the siding or the awning or or like, I mean, unfortunately bring up Soto's home run again or like hits off the shape bridge. They're like this, this distance that he hit is X amount of feet away. They're not accounting for how far it would actually land if it landed field level, which I think they should. I think they should too. They should. What they should. I mean, I think what they're actually doing is they're using the exit velocity and the angle to determine like the actual like expected distance of it. But I just still don't believe it. Like 421 no. feet on Saturday and 430 feet on Sunday. There's no way that's all those balls did. That's like the remember the Pete Alonso home run was it in Minnesota the one that he hit up to like the literal upper deck a couple years yeah. ago and they said like 430 feet. I'm like, there's no way that ball is 150 feet above the the, the ground level. There's no way that's only 400 feet. No, and that was big because it got us on the board, kind of got us feeling good. Then it was a couple more innings until the Mets were able to actually get something together. It did seem like similar. It just did seem like the A's might have left Shintaro Fujinami in a little long. First, like, kind of good start of his career. They just want to see how much they could push him. There were a lot of questionable things Marcotte did this series. I'll talk about another one that happened yeah. on Sunday where I was like, this is one of the most brain-dead things I've ever seen in a baseball field. But Mark Canna hit a rope of a home run down the line. Oh, really yeah. nice to see him get to that pull power. You don't see yes. that very often from Canna. Just sell out and just really smoke one down. And then Vogue drew a walk. And then they finally yank him for Trevor May, and we do that amazing thing we can do where Vogue's a guy who gets on base half the time, and Tim LoCastro comes on who can steal a base like 80% of the time. He gets a second, and Brandon with a clutch two-out hit to score him and get the lead. 
Yes, off, off friend of the pod, Trevor May. Sorry, Trevor, but also, you know what? I'm happy. I'm happy because it ended up leading us to get the victory. We need those runs big time. Nice little late inning rally. And like you said, Canna pulling the ball, that's something like I love to see. I feel like last year when he was hot, like that Philly game, he pulled the ball down the line, and that's usually signs of good things to come for Mark Canna. So hopefully he continues on with that hot streak here. And the Mets bullpen at in this game still looked good. Now, obviously, Sunday, like Jimmy Akabonis came in, got us a little scary a little bit, but... The Mets bullpen still looks very, very solid, especially with the absence of Edwin Diaz, which is big. No, bullpen looks amazing. Drew Smith got four outs, which was big. Threw a lot of pitches to get there. Brooks Raley finished that one off nice and easily. Alvino, there was some trouble. He, he seems like the guy who isn't exactly at his best right now in this entire bullpen, yeah. which is which definitely hurts because now he's like thrust into a much more important role without Edwin Diaz, as we know. And then David Robertson, just the hammer. And he did it again on Sunday. Like Even after Sunday, pitching two days in a row for the first time this year, just filling in so, so incredibly admi admirably for Edwin Diaz. Just giving that little feeling like, oh my God, imagine if this bullpen was complete. But Robertson, seven and thirds innings, hasn't given up a run. He struck out a nine. The whip is 0.5. Like he's, he's every bit as disgusting as he was billed. Yeah, no, he looks fantastic. And we can talk about his performance as well on Sunday uh, when we get to that one. Moving on to game three here, right? Nothing much from game two. It was pretty much like... Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It was, it was kind of an easy, straightforward, boring game a little bit, game two. So moving on to game three. Before the game, the A's did a 1973 World Series ceremony, which uh, I guess it's unfortunate the Mets just happened to match up on the 50th anniversary of when that happens. Uh, no, I mean, the whole year, 50th anniversary. They were going to play him this, I mean, they were playing everybody this year, yeah. So. But in, in theory, the Mets could have had this yeah. game in City Field. I'm just saying, like, it's it's oh, funny yeah, it's how true, that yeah. That ends up lining up there. 1973 World Series, of course. Close one. My uh, my uncle. Sunday was Greek Easter, so shout out to all the Greeks out there celebrating. Um, my uncle was having a real big conversation to me with me today about the 1973 World Series, specifically Rusty Staub. He was like, "That guy was that guy was a ball player. I wish there was more Rusty Staubs in the world." And that's just that's a classic like 60 year old baseball Mets fan who was like, "I love Ross, Rusty Staub. How do we find more of him?" All I think is that baseball needs is just more guys simply named Rusty. Like, I don't care what their game is. Like, you could be named, I mean, you can't be named Rusty and, like, be a massive home run hitter. It doesn't work. Like, just every single grinder, every team should, like, anoint a Rusty. Rusty like, should, Yeah, pick their Rusty. Like, soccer teams yeah. pick a 10. Like, hockey teams have captains and alternates. Like, every team should have a Rusty. Who's the Rusty for the Mets this year? It's probably Jeff McNeil. Or, yeah, like, it, even, be, right? it definitely also, like, it could, it could be, it could be a Guillaume or a LeCastro, depending on, like, what you actually make your Rusty. Yeah, Rusty Saab has some pop too. I mean, he had a couple, he had a 30 home run season in Montreal with the Mets. He averaged about like 15, 20 home runs a year. So, I mean, I, yeah. I'd love to see McNeil get back to that 20 home run clip as well as hitting close to 300. That'd be great. For sure. And this game on Sunday was a lot of fun. It was back and forth in a weird way and just it gave some palpitations because extra innings always do. But before we get to the fun stuff, I just want to very briefly break down Jose Budo because he made this spot start after the Mets announced that Max Scherzer would be pushed back to some discomfort in his side, I believe. Scherzer profusely. Denied that this was anything more serious than the interview. It looked like I don't even know. It looked like a fake interview from like a like a sat satir satirical TV show. Like they're chasing that tone. He's like, I know exactly what it is. I know exactly what it is. He was just like very obviously like, stop it. But Buda looked good coming in on short notice. That fastball changeup combo is legitimately good. 
Like I use the word good there very purposefully, just exactly like how I use Brent Honeywell, like pretty okay, really purposefully a few episodes ago where like the fastball has a really good shape. Like we could, for some reason, baseball savant just didn't have the vertical movement on his fastball, <laughs> even though it had every other pitcher in this game and in baseball today didn't have his. But if I'm just basing it on the spin and what I saw with my eyes, it looks like a fastball that has the shape that you want. And you could also feel that because he was pitching up in the zone effectively and getting swings and misses, which is cool. But it's just good. and It's not great because he throws at 94 instead of like 96 or 97. And that limits the ceiling. Like that's why someone like Sanga can have the fastball forkball combo and have this elite ceiling. But Budo just has the good ceiling. And that's just kind of part of this. But the color did look okay. All three of those pitches got multiple whiffs. And it looks like there is, there's definitely a skill set still to work with with Budo, despite the fact there probably just needs to be a little bit more fine tuning or commitment to one of those like 50, 50 pitch rolls where he can actually juice that thing to 96 and make it really good. The cutter is a new pitch this year, right? We saw that spring yes. training and we're like, ooh, nice little wrinkle there. That could that could completely, or I shouldn't say completely, but that could definitely change the outcome for Jose Budo. It's also good to see that this was his second start, right, for the Mets because the first one was still the Phillies and I don't think he had another yeah. one since. Mm-hmm. Good to see that his season debut went very well. Like this is a guy who we talk about pitching depth all the time on this podcast. We talk about the eighth, ninth, tenth guy. Budo is going to be one of those those guys that is going to make starts at some point for this team this year. It's just it's not possible to be perfectly healthy. So it's good to see that he got off to a hot start. I feel like it also just kind of gives him a little bit of a breather. He's now had a, his first good start at Major League Baseball. Like almost like, oh yeah, I do belong here. Like I, I I am good enough to be on this team. I'm good enough to be a starting pitcher in this league. Gotta feel good for Jose Budo there. Yeah, for sure. And it's just it's nice that again, like he did. You, we, we can't count on him in a pinch like this. Like, there's no yes. issues or qualms with that. Like, people, like last year was a little scary, but that was a different situation. He didn't have the cutter, and that was a that was in a in a scary ballpark. It's a scary offense. Like being able to go out in Oakland, like we saw a Met spot star there last year, go out in a game against not a good offense in a in a pitcher's ballpark, and this didn't happen. If you remember what I'm talking about, I don't want to say. Yeah, it. no, yeah. I, I do. Yeah. yeah, of course I remember. So it's cool that Jose Cabudo could just do this on short notice, and we can still be in position to win this game because we very much were in position to win this game right until the very end. It got us to win here. A big reason for that is my boy, what? my kid. Let's, what? Let's give. Let's give you your Tommy time. This is your Tommy time yeah. here. Go for it, James. You've you've been waiting. You've been doing it every series because he's done something good every single series. Tommy Fam, here we go. You just this guy. You, we can't. We can never take him out of the lineup against a lefty. Like two more balls in play over 100 miles an hour. 861 OPS on the season in a small sample. Got a second home run. Made the one nothing in this game, and he was jacked up rounding second base because he knew we're out there. The Tommy Pham Hive is out there waiting for him to congratulate <laughs> him when he comes around the bases. He's just been super good. He's been a really good addition to this team, and I'm really happy about what he brings to this lineup power wise from the right side. No, 100%. Now, I think last year, like Tommy Pham's exit velos were like a little bit lower than they had been in the past, right? And this year, he seems to be completely back to just crushing the baseball. Tommy, that, that, the, the contacts or whatever he is, he, they should give him like a discount code so they can get like affiliate marketing there because there seems to be no better promoter of whatever these contacts are that he got than Tommy Pham because that dude has literally been locked in since he got those things put in. Yeah, and this game was also just an amazing lesson about like how much power can help a baseball team because Tommy Pham hit the solo home run, Francisco Lindor hit the next one, and then in the ninth inning with one out and felt like a lot of hope had been lost, Pete Alonso comes up and hits another tank moonshot out. The Mets had three runs on three solo home runs in this game that put them in position to do something extra innings and win this game. That cannot be understated. And I want to talk about Pete Alonso a little bit too because he's having an unbelievable start to the year. He's got eight home runs, which I believe are the most in baseball, or at least tied for the most in baseball. I don't, I don't, Rafael Devers had seven. I'm not sure what's happened there, 
But Pete on the year right now, eight home runs, 14 RBIs with a 1054 OPS. Of course, it's 78 plate appearances, so the sample is small. But there are some real improvements that Pete Alonso has made again this year that you've already been able to see. He's obviously hitting the ball hard, obviously crushing it. His barrel rate's in the 91st percentile right now. It's absolutely disgusting. But the thing that is making Pete Alonso extremely, extremely scary right now is he's a guy whose chase rate has kind of hovered in that 30th percentile in, in his career, like 30th, 29th. I think he was like 18th last year percentile in chase rate. Right now in this short season, 66th percentile in chase rate. That is absolutely massive for a guy who has crazy, crazy power. If Pete Alonso is not chasing, he's getting on base even more and still hitting for power. I mean, you're you're talking about an MVP caliber season without a doubt. Certainly. And a big part of that also is I think Pete went through an entire season last year just seeing seeing like the types of pitches he was getting a normal at bat. And now kind of more realizing like if I don't extend the zone, like and I keep this thing moving, like it helps everybody. And they eventually they're gonna have to come into me when I get ahead in the count. Raising that percentile chase rate has been a drop from 33.5% chase rate last year, the highest of his career in a situation where his spot in the batting order did move and the, like there's just differences in protection around him. This year, it's under 25%. The league average is 28%. In turn, so far, the sample isn't big, but the sample for chase rate is almost almost complete, and the sample for walk rate is not that far away from being complete. He's running a 14% walk rate so far in the season, nearly 14%, probably dropped down to 13% after Saturday, unless he did draw a walk. I don't even remember, because all I remember is that crazy home run. That number was not even 10% last year, so now it's over 13%. That is a huge change, while, again, for every single year in his career, five years running, as of the second, he's cut down his strikeout rate as well. I mean, right now it's minimal compared to last year because last year it became very elite. It was under 20%, two full seasons in a row for Pete. This year it looks like he's well on the way, on his way to doing that again. He's, he's simply one of the best hitters in baseball, and he should be treated as such. Every single thing he does is elite on par with absolutely the best players. 100%. This is like a huge, huge step forward for Pete. For a guy who didn't need a step forward, by the way. It's not like we're like, wow, like this guy's different. This guy's different going from like all-star to now, like you said, that elite, elite level of hitter. Uh, Pete in his rookie year, we know he broke the record for rookie home runs, did not hit his eighth home run until April 21st, the 21st game of the season. We are what? How many games in are we right now? Like... What's, what's the Mets record off the top of our head? Because, again, we're 16 games into the season. 11, Pete's, yeah. Pete's got number eight. Yeah. Big thing really we have for Pete Alonso in the stat category this year. Something to keep an eye out for sure. And just something, again, we can't say it enough. Like, the Mets have one of the best combinations of three, four hitters in all of baseball. And that this was out. a game where they went out and were like, we are going to make sure we're not losing this game. Nope. Yeah. Pete Alonso, Francisco Lindor put the team on their back. Huge again. And also like, I mean, the bullpen, John Curtis had a rough outing. Uh, that was and probably do a little bit that he was going to struggle at some point this year. Had a rough he outing. Wasn't, yeah, he wasn't going to not give up a run. Yeah. That like, was never happen. <laughs> that was never not going to happen. But like, shout out to Denny Reyes, who did a really good job, like got out of a jam when Budo came in and struggled with the first batter of that inning. And then I feel like the, the big shout out here is definitely David Robertson uh, in, in that extra inning to close the door for the Mets which was just, oh, it was so, it's so nice. He really is very, very, very good. Super good. It's amazing that even last year in the small sample with the Phillies, he wasn't good because he's been good his entire career, basically, besides that, but also besides when his arm blew up. So shout out to the Phillies for that one. And it definitely was very surprising to see Budo, who was, who had twice as many walks and strikeouts in this game, come back out for the sixth inning. Yeah. And then, again, Denny Reyes... What was that? What uh, what our friends say in Discord the other day that we put on Twitter? Like, who's this Denny? Who's this Denny Reyes cat? This yeah. Denny Reyes cat looks kind of nice. Like that slider is is pretty legit, and it was cool to see him navigate out of that jam and still have enough in the tank for another inning. But I really want to call attention to one of 
the craziest combination moves I've seen like a manager make in a game-winning scenario. And that was Mark Hotze this game in the ninth and 10th innings. In the ninth inning of this game, it was tied. It was 3-3. So if you're the A's, one run quite literally wins you the baseball game. And they had first and second, nobody out, for who was pretty obviously the best hitter in their lineup, Ramon Laureano, their cleanup hitter. And they let him swing the bat. I think he immediately went down 0-2, and then the at-bat, it, just not, not, it, it ended up fizzling out. Then before yeah. a wild pitch, that ended up kind of making uh, making up for it anyway. But in that situation, you have a man on second, nobody out. You have an opportunity to get a man to third base less than two outs. You have to take that 100% in time. I'm usually a never bunter. This is quite literally the only situation in baseball when you should yeah. be bunting. When only one run wins the game completely over, and you get into third with less than two outs. You almost like... You was probably have like what a sixty five percent chance to get that run in from that spot. I'm sure in baseball that number is probably hovers between that and seventy. And then we get to the tenth inning where the Mets have a one run lead and they have the same situation first and second nobody out. And Ryan knows is coming to the plate. Okay, definitely a worse caliber hitter, different spot in the batting order. I'm sure that all plays into why these decisions are made. But he did bunt and he bunted the ball straight back to David Robertson, made the play at third base, completely neutralized any chance the A's would have to win this game. And in reality, there for the A's. Getting that one guy in from second to third and then getting him home on another out, that doesn't really help you at all. Because no. if you, you, you're a team that's significantly worse than the team you're playing, why would you want to play another inning against them? <laughs> no, I you're was not so excited about that. Yeah. Coming out of that inning with a tie would have been massive for the Mets because they would have had another chance to play against a bad team with bad pitcher and bad defense behind them. So that would have been, that bunt was a huge win for the Mets. Couldn't imagine Mark Hatze seeing more importance to tying a game in the 10th rather than winning it in the 9th. Yeah, like happy, a- that's how we saw it. Marcotte had some very, very questionable decisions. Also, like it's hard when you, you have the players that you have in Oakland to probably try and figure out, especially on the pitching side, like what am I going to do? No one's throwing any strikes. Like who do I actually go to? And Zach Jackson, Johnson, Zach Johnson, what's his name? The guy who came in in the 10th and walked Zach everybody. Jackson. Zach Jackson. Yeah, he, he had a really, really tough series. Ramon Laureano, though, only one sacrifice bunt in his entire career, and that came in 2019. So the dude has not laid down a sack in five years pretty much. For sure, because in most scenarios, there's no reason Ramon Laureano should be bunting for anybody yeah, yeah. else on this roster. But it's just in that situation, it changes your potential to win by so much so quickly. That's crazy not to do it. And in case you guys are new to the podcast, if this is the first time you've listened, or maybe you came on this year, or you, you, you haven't been here from the start, James is probably the most anti-bunt person that I know. He hates it. Like He's he's the numbers guy, right? And the stats tell you like that the bunt really just doesn't make sense in a lot of scenarios. So for James to get on his soapbox here and be saying that Ramon Laureano should have been bunting there. I mean, you you know that that's a big mistake. It's meaningful. It's also just so funny, like having this conversation where like everyone, whenever th- people think about the A's now, everyone thinks about Billy Bean, basically the movie Moneyball, I feel like mostly. And I'm seeing the scene in my head where Brad Pitt is hanging out in the gym with these guys being like, if they're going to bunt, you're going to give me out, just take it, throw it right to first base. And the A's <laughs> actually did that one inning, but then... If they would have not done the bunt in the tenth, I would have been. This wouldn't have been as much of a conversation. 100%. But the fact that they single-handedly took themselves out of a rally in that tenth inning to physically hand us this victory for like the seventeenth time this series, seventeenth big number this series, it was it was beautiful, and I'm happy we got the sweep because no, no, it's they great. gave it to us. Yeah, I mean, like we said, the Mets pretty much just showed up to Oakland and beat them uh, at the end of the day. And shout out to Francisco Lindor and Pete Alonso, who both had massive series and were there when we needed them. Because there were at times where the offense wasn't getting things going. It's going to happen. I mean, like, and it shows you again why power is so important. The Lindor home runs, the Pete home runs, all huge in this series. Ends up being a sweep, which is great for two reasons. One, because the Mets sweep. We love when they don't lose any games. And two, because the stake bet. Nationals and A's. The A's don't get a single game against the Mets 
So I'm extremely happy because we want James to take me out for steak dinner at the end of the year. And the Nationals grabbed a win against the Guardians. Sneaky win. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, now it's time for everybody's favorite part of the Mets Stub podcast. We've got the estimate last series against the A's. Of course, I lost. I picked 10. James picked 11. And it was higher than 11. I don't even remember what the exact number was. Maybe you know what the number is, James? 13. 13. So, John out in Johnny Jamaica. See, we have something every episode. We got Johnny Jamaica hanging out on the balcony, having a nice beverage that's blue and orange. John, what are we looking at for the estimate for this next series here? Uh, well, first of all, I, I'm actually nope. not Aloha. That's not what they say in Jamaica. But uh, how you guys doing? Great series win. No, that's not what they say at all. But a uh, fantastic series win. Got myself what I thought was a blue and orange drink, but I guess it looks like yellow, kind of. My, my boy Tommy did his best. Um, anyway, so I'll make this quick because I've got to run. Um, here's what we're going to go with for this series. There may or may not be a few rookies that we look closely at here in L.A. Uh, James Atman of the Dodgers off to an incredible start. Um, so it's going to be the total amount of hits – by rookies in the Mets. Wow, Dodgers so both series. teams are counting here, right, John? As he takes a huge sip of his drink. <laughs> okay, both teams, both teams, rookie hits. That was actually a small step. I take a, I take rookie hits step by right both teams. We're talking James Outman. We're talking Miguel Vargas. Anybody else on the Dodgers that I can think of that could be a rookie that qualifies for a hit? No, but then we also have the Mets. We have the Mets as well. All right, I'm going to come up with a number. I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to do something fun here. Let's get crazy. Let's get wild. Let's get crazy. I got a, I got a great number. I've never felt more confident that I'm going to get on the board here and finally get a win in 2023 for the estimate. The uh, the shutout will end here for James. My number's perfect. I'm really thinking about this one. I've been thinking about the last couple, and I've won them both. So Yeah, maybe, maybe I should be thinking about these a little bit more rather than just going, you know what, here's the number that I think of, and that's the one I like. And by the way, I just want to point out right now that – Jamaica, for some some reason, Jamaica decided no we're going to be on Central Time. Mm-hmm. Mark's in New York, and James is, is on the West Coast. So right now, we're repping three different time zones, which is yeah, incredible. It, Jamaica is east of Miami, there. yet somehow, some way, I can't know. Are you serious? I'm, I looked at it on a map. I'm look I'm looking at Google Maps, and Jamaica is east of Miami. the The western yeah. end of Jamaica is not even like in a straight line with Miami. It's east of it. I love time zones. Time zones are crazy. All right. right, We ready ready. for this uh, estimate? Mm -hmm. Jamaica just woke up on their life. All right. We're doing central. Ready, James? We'll count down. Three, two, one, bang. Ooh. Wait. Seven and a half. You can't do a half. Okay, then I'll take seven. I just, in in case you did seven, I wanted to do seven and a half. No, you should. I think that's eight. No, this is seven then. I get the pick. Why? Seven and a half. Fine. Then it's not seven. Then it's eight. 
Yeah, okay. That's eight. I wanted to just... We've been matching. We've been very, very close with each other. I wanted to make sure... <laughs> we need some rules going forward because no more halves. No more halves no, here. That was, I was just throwing a curveball there, but I wanted to make sure that we did not match because there was a world where I was like, we're going to match again and we're going to be stuck and John's in Jamaica with a huge delay. <laughs> yeah, with a tape delay. All right, John, thank you so much for the estimate. Eight, six, seven gives us the trouble again here, but we will see how it goes. Have fun in Jamaica, John. We'll see you on the next one. Yeah, I mean, Johnny Jamaica really is on another level. John John always comes into these Zooms, or the StreamYards, I should say, StreamYard episodes with a lot of different energy. Johnny Jamaica was definitely a little bit different for us there, especially with that delay in the central time zone. Yeah, and John, John, as you guys can tell, very much loves the camera. He likes getting the opportunity to speak his mind on here, so very excited to give him that chance. Isn't this so funny how when we started, like, John was like, maybe I could, like, just, like, come on and, like, say some stats for you guys every once in a while. And now John's like, Props. camera, let me let me get the light in perfect for you guys. Let me get the backdrop. John's oh, ready man. to roll. Well, do you think there's any chance he's ever applied makeup? Yes. hundred <laughs> percent. probably has. Johnny Makeup. I mean, I just love that we can just add a Y to his name and then a word, and it really just, it fits so well. Like, Johnny Jamaica. How does that work? I don't know. Johnny Blush. Vito tells us in the uh, in the streamyard chat that John flosses before every single episode, which that's probably that more sense. than I've flossed in like the last year, which is maybe maybe a little concerning. Oh. Yeah, you got to floss. I'm oh, an active flosser. You I mean, floss. we we know my feelings on the dentist. We don't have to go into that's that. True. <laughs> floss. I can get behind floss. I should be flossing more. I don't disagree. <laughs> All right, now let's swing it out. We have a big series in Los Angeles now. It's going to be starting on Monday night. I'm going to be on site for at least one of these games. I might I might show up on Monday, just depending on other things that are going on with my trip here. Also, depending on if anyone else is playing for the Mets that night, I can, might, might want to go see them, say hi or something. But Monday night, we have a pretty fun pitching matchup. A lot of, actually, I would say right now, as they're scheduled, all three pitching matchups in the series are very fun. Two good teams. One, yeah, two good teams. Two of the better teams in the National League. Monday night, David Peterson versus Dustin May. And then Tuesday night, Tyler McGill versus Clayton Kershaw. We know how how good Kershaw usually is against the Mets in the regular season. It's really not something that I'm expecting to be very fun. And then on Wednesday, a matinee. This is a game I'm definitely going to. Noon local time, 3 o'clock Eastern. Max Scherzer versus the forgotten son, Noah Syndergaard, facing the Mets for the first time in his career. That should have been the the estimate. How many pitches does Noah Syndergaard actually throw against the New York Mets in this series? And the line would be set at uh, one because we we know Noah Syndergaard has been dodging the Mets, dodging us left and right ever since he left. So uh, it would be nice to get to Noah because he he left in such weird terms. Like, obviously I have great memories with the guy, but the way that he left, just that one hurt me. That one hurt me a little bit. I I didn't like the way that that ended. No, but it's going to be exciting to face him if we actually do face him. Very excited to be in Dodger Stadium also. Never been out there, so if any listeners are out there, hit me up. I'm going to be rolling around the park with stickers. Probably going to stick a few up here and there. Just love to see some Mets fans out there. It'll be kind of cool. And also just kind of taking in Los Angeles. So anybody has any recommendations, like throw them at me on Twitter. Because I will say, I've been here that much. hang out in the outfield. They have like a really cool like hangout area out in the outfield. Honestly, if you can sit in the outfield, I had a really good time out there when I went to see yeah, Albert Pujols at 700 home run. Yeah, that probably helped play into it. <laughs> no, for sure. That definitely helped have uh, to have a good time. But like hanging out there is like very chill. Everyone's like very friendly. Uh, a lot of conversation, really good food. And uh, yeah, Dodger Stadium is really awesome. I, I really enjoyed the time. It's just getting there is a real pain in the butt because LA traffic is just, it's undeniable. It exists at all times, anywhere you go. Doesn't matter what time of day, LA traffic exists. So I wish you Godspeed in uh, getting to the stadium there, James. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, ho- I'm hoping the Wednesday, the matinee game kind of negates some of that, hopefully. Hopefully, I 
I have no experience in going to a matinee in yeah. LA. Yeah. So we'll see how it goes. Some guys to keep an eye out for. You obviously know about the names that are the stars. Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, Will Smith, JD Martinez, all guys are beats. And Max Muncy has started to heat up quite a bit going into this series. He seems like he might have remembered how to hit. But the names that you need to really pay attention to, and you saw on the estimate, we're talking about the rookies, Miguel Vargas. James Outman. Those are the names to keep an eye out for. Both of them, exceptional players. I love James Outman. Every single thing that I've been seeing from him this year, I go, oh, he's really, really good. And this guy is probably going to be a problem at some point. And Miguel Vargas, on-base machine. Yeah, Outman is a guy so much people should pay attention to because he, like, Vargas was a top prospect. Like, we knew he was going to come up and make a huge impact immediately. Outman has come a little bit out of nowhere. Kind of that Dodger this year has done that. And he looks super legit in the small sample this year. His power is crazy good. He's playing a good defensive outfield. I think he's near the league lead in barrels right now. And he's doing something that Mark and I talked about this on his live stream for his baseball show on Friday. That's like one of the most unique skill sets in baseball, where at the same time, James Outman has one of the worst whiff rates for any hitter in baseball, but one of the best chase rates. So that means that James Outman very rarely will swing at pitches outside the strike zone, but he it's harder for him to make contact on a lot of the ones in the strike zone because he has this crazy, just forceful, torqued-up lefty swing where he's swinging for the moon every single time. And he's doing that. He's hitting it a lot of the time this year, but it's, it's, it's definitely going to be feast or famine for Outman while he keeps this approach, and right now it is major feast time. Yeah, uh, and Miguel Vargas, uh, if you guys remember, during spring training, he had a hand injury, so the Dodgers sent him up to the plate every single time for like two weeks and said, do not swing the bat, just watch pitches, and it has worked out. The 23-year-old has 13 walks in 48 plate appearances. Before I don't know what happened with today's game or whatnot. He's only struck out eight times. Like, yeah, the, he hasn't hit a home run yet. The power hasn't necessarily shown, per se, but he's going to be a special player. He has a 447 on base percentage. <laughs> Yeah, Miguel Vargas, is, his play discipline is good enough where if the other tools come, and there's no reason they won't because they were very loud in the minor leagues, and he's like, he he could he could just break this whole thing. Like he could be such a good baseball player. It's a little bit silly right now. He's he's running a 130 WRC plus, like a 450 XWO, but he has no home runs because he just <laughs> gets on base every single time. You might break the system, and they still have the great players too. And then just one more little, I don't even want to call this a shout-out, but... Uh, some former Atlanta Braves, whose careers kind of looked like they were derailed a little bit, kind of looked like they were over, have had some success this year with the Dodgers on the offensive side. That would be Jason Hayward, who he's not going to hit for average, but he seems to be doing that thing that older players, when they go to the Dodgers, do, and that's just try and hit home runs. Try and hit the, the ball as hard as you can in the air. That's all we need. And then on the pitching side, which I'd love to see what you have to say about this guy, oh, Shelby Miller. Shelby Miller, 32 years of age has not pitched since what? Or I guess he pitched a little bit in 2022, but hasn't been good since 2015 when he made the All-Star team with the Braves. And it seems like, at least statistically, he's pitched six and two-thirds innings, hasn't given up a run, uh, and is striking out some dudes. He's only given up one hit. Like, what's the deal with Shelby Miller? Dude, I was so on the Shelby Miller resurgence bandwagon last season. He just, like, has pitches that, again, just, like, look, like, good. Like, they have good moving profiles. I know it's the fastball, and I want to double-check right now to see if it was a slider or a crazy changeup. That's the other thing that he's been throwing like since his whole comeback has begun. But once I saw the Dodgers pick him up, I was like, oh, crap, they saw this too. And it's, it's a slider, yeah. And he has a splitter. Now, is that a new pitch? That is a new pitch. He's just throwing a splitter now 14% of the time. <laughs> Last year in this very limited sample, he's throwing 55% sliders and 45% fastballs. And I was like, oh, no, I think they got my have something here. Because the, the fastball got back to 94 last year, and the slider was just moving a ton, getting a lot of whiffs. And now it's just like, this is good. And that splitter is becoming a pitcher that's even getting more whiffs than the slider so it looks like that could be something that might have takes over when he gets prepared enough for it but i do think shelby miller actually is going to be a plus reliever which is kind of insane to say he's still walking a lot of guys not yes. great but he's not he's not dead 
And that's pretty much the Dodgers. It's not the Dodgers you're used to, but they're still a very, very good team. Uh, they're they're well, going to make Yeah, it. I want to talk about one more guy, too, because we're oh, going to see him hit me, hit me. Where The Mets are going to face Dustin May on Monday night, who probably right now is, like, if not the most exciting young pitcher in the league, one of the most exciting young pitchers in the league, along with, like, I don't know, Hunter Brown and, and Grayson Rodriguez. All these guys are pretty similar tiers. It's just elite guys without that much experience. He was forgotten about a little bit because he got the Tommy John surgery and missed the whole year last year, but he made some, like, super meaningful changes just started focusing a lot more in his fastball and curveball they're both elite that fastball just sits upper 90s and like has the rising action the curveball's a straight up knee buckler like looks like kershaw from the right side it's ridiculous he still throws that sinker too because it has like witchy movement yeah. it's just he was throwing it so much early in his career that he had no clue where it was going so it's kind of hard for him to like manage contact and like be able to get called strikes because it was it's just like it's a pitch one of those underworld pitches where he throws it and it's like 97 and it moves like 40 inches you just i don't, I don't know what's gonna happen Sideshow Bob. He's got the crazy orange hair too. Like you can't miss him. Yeah. And now he's doing this thing where he kind of took a little, like he kind of just learned about it a little bit more and he throws it less. So it becomes more of like a weapon pitch than like the pitch he leans on. Cause that fastball he's so comfortable with now he's, he's so freaky. He could be one of like the rare guys that has like 25% strikeout rate, 50% ground ball rate. That's like the pinnacle of pitching where you can do both of those things. Shane McClanahan was the only guy to do that last year, like literally. And he had an amazing year. That was just only derailed by injury. he, Dustin May looks like a freak of nature, and he's a big reason why this Dodgers team can still make a deep playoff run, even with all the losses they've had. 100%. I mean, they're still a very good team. We know that the Dodgers series are always close, so I'm super excited to see this one. This is going to be a fun series. I'm sure you're excited to get out to some games out there in LA, James. So again, if anybody's out there, go find James. I'm sure he'll have some stickers for you. Pushing the oh, Messed yeah. Up podcast across the coast in California. Anything else to talk about here? Is it time to wrap up this episode? It's time to wrap. I mean, excited. Everyone, maybe keep an eye out for what could be a bonus episode that comes out maybe sometime on Monday about some player that could possibly be joining the Mets that day, maybe. If there's any news that becomes official on anything, uh, expect us to make a, a, a merge. I don't want to call it an emergency episode, but a little episode to bonus. talk about whatever that, yeah, that news that is now official maybe could possibly be. I yeah. love how vague we are. It sounds like maybe, maybe, maybe. If you say it really quickly, maybe, maybe, maybe. That's kind of what it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, I get the gist there. Thank you guys so much for listening and watching this episode of the Metsed Up Podcast. Remember to follow us on all our social media at Metsed Up, M-E-T-S-D-U-P. We're dropping some great, great content on all our social media, so make sure you're following us there. If you're looking for the YouTube video version of this, the New York Mets YouTube channel is where you can find it, so make sure you go subscribe so you don't miss out. And if you like to listen to us, which we hope you do, listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Odyssey, wherever you get a podcast, we exist there. So subscribe to the podcast, download those episodes, and hey, someone drop us a review. Someone drop us a rating. We do appreciate it. It really does help grow the podcast over here. Uh, James, where can they find you 